980 CFPL's 100th anniversary celebration is in partnership with Holly Gully and the London International Airport. I want to start by doing an overview of London history, including the history of this very radio station. To do that, we are joined by Dan Brock, the president of the London and Middlesex Historical Society. Thanks for your time today. Oh, you're most welcome. Well, it's important to look back at our history, and as we look back at uh, London's history, uh, 980 is a big part of that. And I uh, wanted just to start with the, the history of the radio station itself, because uh, some people may not be aware, I'm sure you obviously do, but it's one of the oldest radio stations in the country. Yes, as, as uh, far as I have found out, it's said to be the second radio station to be licensed in Canada. And um, it uh, it started officially broadcasting on the um, 30th of uh, September in 1922. And it was um, called CJGC at the time. And it was on uh, 698 on the dial. It was owned by the Free Press at that time. And then in 1933, they sold it to the Essex uh, Broadcasters Limited of uh, Windsor. And um, that year, the um, London Free Press decided they they had better get another radio station because uh, they were afraid of competition from the uh, the Windsor Border City Star. With now that they had the, the with the Essex one, and so they uh, established uh, CFPL, and the FPL stood for uh, Free Press London, and this was on uh, the frequency they used was seven thirty, and. Um, uh, later, it's assigned uh, 1570 on the dial and had a power of uh, 1,000 watts. And then on uh, February the 20th, 1949, it began broadcasting at uh, 980. And um, in 1959, they built a new transmitter with a, um, a $10,000 or 10,000 watts of power. The uh, the history is is so rich and it's interesting when you look back. Um, the 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 death of uh, Sir Adam Beck ties into it a little bit. The, his death in particular is notable in its own right, but there's also, I believe, a tie-in with 980 as well. Is that correct? That that is correct. Um, um, as far as the death of uh, Sir Adam Beck, which took place on August the fifteenth in nineteen twenty-five. I would compare this, the impact it had on London would be sort of like the impact the death of Queen uh, Elizabeth II had on, uh, on the people in England in particular. Uh, what is notable is, as far as the radio station, which was CJGC at the time, is the funeral service that was held, which was on August the 17th of 1925, was the first non-studio radio broadcast in London and possibly in all of Canada. And this was broadcast, this was the broadcasting of the funeral service of uh, uh, Sir Adam Beck and was being held at St. Paul's Cathedral. You, you mentioned Sir Adam Beck. I mean, for maybe people who, I mean, it was uh, 1925 is obviously a long time ago. You referenced uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, II, just how deeply he was connected uh, to, to London. All right. Uh, he was one of the most important people uh, in London 
uh, in the 19, in the 20th, well, yeah, the 20th century, as far as I'm concerned, he was mayor of London at one time. He was uh, um, MPP. But what was most important, significant, is that he is the f- the father, if you will, of the Ontario Hydro Commission. Um, and if it were not for the work that he did, it would have been a long time before we had that. For him to uh, to make the whole hydro system in Ontario and, and force this through opposition and so on to to make it a, a public for all of Ontario is a tremendous um, a contribution uh, to Ontario. And it had its impact beyond that in Canada and elsewhere. Um, he did so many, many things, um, but the, that was the, the key thing with him was, um, and he was chairman of the Ontario Hydro Commission for a great number of years, uh, and it didn't make any difference which party was in office, whether it was the Conservatives or the Liberals, he continued as the, the, the chair. There are so many important uh, parts from our history. Uh, one other one happened soon after his uh, death was, uh, there was a flight from London to London, from one London to the other London, that uh, ultimately was uh, quite tragic. Well, the, the, yes, the, this is true. The, the idea was got up that uh, uh, this was a time when they had all these spectacular flights, and we're, we're thinking of people like uh, Charles Lindbergh and so on. So it was decided that they'd have a flight from London, Ontario, to London, England, and a prize of $25,000, and you can imagine what that would be. That'd be hundreds of thousands of dollars today. Uh, so $25,000, I should say, was put up by Carling Breweries, which at that time was one of the big breweries here in London. And there were two men that were finally selected of the many people that uh, applied for this, uh, Captain Terry Tully and uh, his co-pilot or navigator, Lieutenant uh, James Medcalf. Anyway, they took off in the plane. The plane was dubbed the Sir John Carling. Unfortunately, um, somewhere over the Atlantic, um, the um, uh, plane was lost at sea. There was even a special stamp that was um, um, uh, produced for this flight, and it's extremely rare, the, the very few that, uh, that do, do exist, because most of them went down with, with the plane itself. Uh, uh, because they, these were being sent to people in England or whatever it was, or people just wanted them as souvenirs when it got canceled back in Eng- England as well. Yeah. So that was a real tragedy um, in in London. There were, you know, the people the people at the time certainly remembered the, uh, this particular thing. Uh, by the way, uh, the twenty five thousand dollars was ultimately given to the widows of uh, both uh, uh, Tully and uh, Metcalf. There are two uh, notable royal visits that I want to mention, one in 1939, another in 1951 of the then Princess Elizabeth. Yes, um, the, the one in 1939 was when King George VI uh, and his uh, wife, Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth, the mother of the future Queen Elizabeth II, um, uh, came, came to uh, a tour of Canada, and they arrived here in London on June the 7th. And uh, they were uh, um, accompanied by the prime minister at the time, Mackenzie King. What is significant is that this is the first royal visit by a reigning uh, monarch of the of the British Empire. And it's hard to believe, but it is said that there were 300,000 people that came to see them. 
uh, here in London. Uh, you know, I just I find that just mind-boggling because the the population of London was probably only over a hundred thousand or so at that time. Uh, but that was that, and of course, this was all done because they knew that a war was going to happen very quickly, and uh, this was to gain help to gain the support of uh, Canadians by having this Canadian tour. Now, you mentioned the um, the, the one in nineteen. Um, 51, and that was on October the uh, 14th, and that's when Princess Elizabeth, later Queen Elizabeth II, and the Duke of Edinburgh made their first um, visit to London. It was a brief one. Um, they were only here for 29 minutes, uh, but, uh, you know, it was significant. I mean, I, I personally remember the, the tour itself, and it was, you know, she was a beautiful young woman at that time, and uh, um, it, it was it was uh, really interesting watching um, watching her tour of Canada, Canada at that time. I, I wanted to mention as well uh, the creation of the Fanshawe Dam in 1955, which was uh, a follow up to um, a, a, a a massive flood we had as well. Right. So the dam itself is officially opened on uh, September the 18th, in 1955. Uh, and one of the reasons sir, that promoted or forced people to build this in the first place, or municipalities, I should say, is the worst natural disaster that, that ever befell London. And that was the, the, the great flood that, of uh, April the 26th in 1937. Um, the, um, you know, we, we never had such a high uh, rate of water. There was one person who lost their life when he stepped out of a boat and ended up into an open manhole. Um, now, the, the the big flood before that was in July of 1883, and there were some 18 uh, lives that were lost at that time. Um, but uh, you know, there were there were there were floods that took place before. 1937 and floods that took place afterwards. I believe one was in 1948, but uh, the, the 37 one was the largest, and uh, that was the one that prompted the building of the uh, Fanshawe Dam. And we can, you know, be very grateful that th that th this has been built. Uh, we haven't had any really big floods uh, in London since then. Absolutely. Um, I'm. I want to also talk about in in 1958 the escape and capture. Uh, we don't have seals in the city anymore, but the long history of the city uh, does include that. And there was a, the escape and capture of uh, a seal. Oh yes, that uh, that that really uh, uh, took the headlines and and uh, the interest of of, of the people when. Uh, uh, slippery. Well, I don't know if ever even had a name, but they dubbed it Slippery the Seal. And if you go to um, um, Springbank uh, Park and uh, Storybook Gardens, you'll see the uh, statue, if you will, uh, uh, image of, of uh, I believe that would be Slippery the Seal. Anyway, he, uh, he escaped on June the 18th, 1958, and uh, he was finally captured in Sandusky, Ohio, in a boathouse on the 27th. But that was really something, that, as I said, that caught the attention of the, of the uh, people of uh, London and elsewhere. Uh, these were, I, I believe, the, uh, sea lions is what they call them, California sea lions. And, of course, it came from California as well. Uh, originally, there were two of them that were brought to London. 
Many people most recently might think of uh, when we think of winter and may- massive storms, a uh, snowmageddon. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, years and years before we had snowmageddon, there was a massive blizzard as well. Uh, yeah, we we had a number of them, and this is you know the last few years we haven't had anything like this. But the probably the worst um, in uh, that 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 took place. Uh, in in recent history would have been the one in uh, 1971 it started in um, on january the 26th and lasted for uh, until about february the first we got some 20 inches of snow uh, as far as i know the winds were 60 kilometers an hour but what it did on that particular day on, on january the 26th it sort of caught people off guard uh, roads were uh, were blocked um, and deserted Kids were stranded at school, and they, um, you know, were many, many of them. And I remember talking to some of the teachers because I wasn't teaching at the time, and uh, uh, they stay, had to stay overnight with the, the kids. And uh, they would, you know, people would would try to come to the schools, particularly in the rural areas, in, in snowmobiles and everything else, to bring food and so on and so forth. And of course, the the, the military was called out to to help in this. You, you know, there and there there, there were. Um, um, snow um, storms later than that or earlier than that. I know there's one in December of 1977, but the one in 71 was was the big one that people would certainly remember. I want to uh, look at uh, one London place because it opened in 1993, but uh, well before that, it was the uh, site of a uh, a, a really uh, large uh, fire. Yes, at um, at one time this was the um, um, the central library, and then uh, ultimately later it became the YMYWCA, uh, and it was on the uh, southeast southwest corner of uh, Wellington and um, uh, uh, Wellington and Queens Avenue. Uh, anyway, this this fire took place in January of 1981, and um, it was one of the coldest days of the year, and so this really hampered things. And uh, when all was said and done, it looked like an ice castle uh, because the water just froze almost as much as soon as it was um, uh, come came out of the hoses uh, on, onto the building. And so it was uh, it was a spectacular sight uh, to see this so-called, you know, the ruins all covered with ice and people well that were around at that time certainly remember remembered that. Ultimately, this became um, uh, one London place, uh, which opened on uh, June the 24th of 1993. And um, it was significant in that this was the, at that time, the largest building in London. And a few years later, people were were invited to um, to go up to one of the top floors to watch the uh, peregrine falcons that had uh, built a nest um, not too far away, and we could see them. Um, we could see them there. I think they, the nest was in the building uh, on the site of the former uh, uh, London uh, Hotel there. So uh, it was e- easy to see it for that. It was very generous of uh, Siftons to allow people to come in and. and uh, and and see this uh, free of charge. I want to end by talking about uh, what we now call Budweiser Gardens. When it was first created, it was uh, the John Labatt Center. It's about to celebrate its uh, 20th anniversary. 
as it just so happens. And during the building of it, uh, people may remember who were in London at the time, uh, the discovery of the uh, Talbot Tot. Yes, uh, I mean, there were, there, there were years, uh, almost a, a few decades of controversy over this whole thing, the destruction of the buildings on, on that site and the, the, the heritage people trying to uh, save at least the, the streetscape on, um, on Talbot Street uh, on that block, and that didn't happen. And so they, and then the the company, <clears throat> Cambridge of Toronto, that was going to build the, the, uh, vast things, uh, on that site, uh, they um, they backed out of it because of all the uh, difficulties they were having with City Hall and, of course, the Heritage Group and so on. So finally, the city took it over and thought, well, this is, you know, they, the troubles were over with. And then the, the remains of a child, anywhere from 18 to uh, th- months to three years, was found uh, in a eight-sided um, coffin, wooden coffin, buried on the site. And... Um, the, the the question and and it, because of the covering of ash and so on, we know this took place before 1845, possibly between the before the fire of 1839. Anyway, uh, there were uh, people got interested in this, myself uh, being one of them, and um, tried wanted to know more about this, and it, it, it just became a media frenzy. Uh, and this didn't sit too well with City Hall, and particularly the, the Vic Cote, who was the person that was uh, in charge of uh, of, the, of overseeing the development of this, you know, some 42 to 45 million dollar um, project on the on the, on the center. So, but this carried on for for some time. The, the good thing that came out of this was at least we know where the child is buried, and there's a wonderful plaque uh, that the city. Uh, Put there, and it's in um, Oak, Oakland Cemetery um, on this. But it, this certainly was uh, a headache uh, for the city, and you know, the, so many people were 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 caught up on this. Children were writing uh, poems and and everything else uh, as part of school projects and so on. It really caught the um, the attention of of the whole public. And beyond this, I mean, I was I was feeling phone calls in Toronto and Wingham and. Um, Windsor and so on like that, uh, but uh, you know, after that, you know, they're, they're, you, you you don't hear anything. They find they find these bodies. A child was found a few months after that, and there was just one mention of that, and that was it. Even even the free press that clammed up on this, uh, you know, um, but uh, but that re- really created uh, quite a controversy. Um, uh, the finding of that body, but that was an interesting thing, uh, you know, an eight-sided coffin. We, you know, way back that early, so it was uh, really an opportunity that was lost as far as finding something out about the more of our heritage that time. It's a, it's a long history to recap. We only you know, really scratched the surface. Uh, Dan, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to join us today. Thank you very much. Okay, you're most welcome. You take care. That is Dan Brock, president of the London and Middlesex Historical Society.